Well, as we uh, turn to the Word of God now, we continue on in the book of Isaiah. Today we'll particularly be looking at Isaiah chapter 50, starting in verse 4 to chapter 51, uh, verse 8. Uh, Last week we saw how the Lord sent one that Isaiah called the servant to accomplish his salvation. And we saw that the proper response to the great work of the servant is simply to rejoice in what God has done. And then the rest of, rest of chapter 59 up to chapter 50 verse 3 consisted of God responding to his people who felt abandoned by God. And God wanted to console them and encourage them and to say, I have not abandoned you. Now I'm not going to take a close look at those verses because I want to keep moving through Isaiah. And so this morning again we begin at Isaiah chapter 50 verse 4 which begins a section that will run us to 51 verse 8. And the theme here continues to be the Lord's servant. But this morning, we're going to look at the Lord's servant as, a, as one who speaks to us and one who listens to God himself. One who speaks to us and one who listens to God himself. And so, our scripture reading this morning, Ryan will first come up and read for us from Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 to 11. This is going to speak of the servant as one who listens to God and one who obeys God. And after that, Tom Ray will come up and read for us Isaiah 51, 1 to 8. And these are the words of the servant to us. After that, Christy will come and read for us from Matthew 5, verses 10 to 12. These are the words of the servant himself spoken to us, his promises to us. And then lastly, Sarah will come and read for us 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 25, which is a disciple of Jesus Christ reflecting on the words of the servant. So, Ryan, if you'd like to come forward now and lead us in reading God's word. This is Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 11. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, All of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand, you shall lie down in torment. This is Isaiah 51, verses 1 through 8. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father, and to Sarah who gave birth to you in pain. When he was but one, I called him. Then I blessed him and multiplied him. Indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. And her wilderness he will make like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. 
Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and sound of a melody. Pay attention to me, O my people, and give ear to me, O my nation. For a law will go forth from me, and I will set my justice for a light of peoples. My righteousness is near, my salvation has gone forth, and my arms will judge the peoples, the coastlands will wait for me, and from my arm they will wait expectantly. Lift up your eyes to the sky, then look to the earth beneath. For the sky will vanish like smoke, and the earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants will die like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not wane. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, a people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them like a garment, and the grub will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever and my salvation to all generations. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 1 Corinthians 1, 18-25 For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demanded signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Well, beloved, the Lord calls us to do many hard things. If you're wondering what kind of hard things the Lord calls us to do, you need look no further than the greatest commandments, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'm quite sure that if we were to take a survey of the room this morning, there wouldn't be a single person here that feels that they have ever done that perfectly, that they've ever really accomplished the fullness of what God commands there. Or if maybe someone here is bold enough to think, yeah, you really have done that, probably just a couple questions would abuse you of that notion. Here at Providence Church, we we try to encourage one another to do many difficult things. Here at Providence, we have a membership covenant that talks about how we want to live together, and it involves many hard things. We commit to caring for one another, to watching over one another and praying for one another, to resisting all sin, to faithfully engage with the church body, to evangelize those around us, and to persevere in finding a church, even if it's not providence. And so we have difficult commands that we expect one another to keep and that we pray one another would keep. God's commands are not light or easy things. 
They are not light or easily easy precisely because God's will for us is not a light thing or an easy thing. It's not light or easy in the sense that God's commandments are hard, and it's not light or easy in the sense that even apart from the internal difficulty of obeying God's commandments, God promises that we will face external opposition as well. 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Or Matthew 10.25, It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? And so God's word promises that even as much internal difficulty as we may feel to loving God with all of our hearts and souls and minds and strength, we'll also face this challenge from the world who doesn't want us to live that way. And so God's commands are difficult in every way. Jesus indeed sends us out as sheep amidst wolves. Sometimes when I think of the Christian life, I think of the opening scene of Saving Private Ryan. I know it's an old movie now, but many of you have probably seen it. I don't know if you remember the opening scene of that movie. It portrays D-Day, Omaha Beach, the first wave going on, and just as the doors go down on their landing craft, the machine guns start to light up the people going off. And so just as a commander could have told those soldiers on D-Day, I promise you that if you're in the first wave, you will get shot, and I want you to keep going. In the same way, Jesus commands us that you are going to be persecuted, and I want you to keep going. Jesus says life is not going to be easy. It's going to be a great challenge to follow me. Jesus sends us, seemingly, into the mouth of the lion. How is it that we could possibly faithfully live this Christian life? How can we persevere in the faith that Jesus calls us to? And so in the message this morning, I want to ask a quite simple question. Where do you get the strength? Where do you get the strength? Where do you get the strength to move forward? Where do you get the strength to do hard things? Where do you get the strength to keep fighting that sin that just never seems to let you go? Where do you get the strength to stand faithfully for Jesus in a group of friends that seems to only care about their selfish desires? Where do you get the strength to love that person that's very difficult, maybe seemingly impossible to love? Where do you get the strength to follow any commands of Christ? Where do you get the strength to stand up to persecution? Again, beloved, the Christian life is a difficult life, and so we have this urgent question. Where do we get the strength to follow after God if this calling is indeed such a great challenge, if it's so hard? Well, let me start my answer this morning by saying where we don't get strength from. Namely, we don't get strength from within. We don't get strength from ourselves. If you're an unbeliever here this morning, I have no doubt that you, just like all mankind, have faced many challenges in your life. And I wonder what gave you the strength to get through them. If I had my guess, you probably got help from one of the many mantras that you'll hear in our culture today, like you're strong enough or you're worth it or you can do it or dig deep. All these kind of phrases that we use to try to encourage one another to do hard things. I uh, searched Google for motivational sayings just to see what sort of things other people found strengthening for them in the midst of trials. 
And many of these sayings point you directly to yourself as a source of strength or presume that you are strong enough if only you get the right mindset. Some sayings are like, you are confined only by the walls you build yourself or push yourself because no one else is going to do it for you or quite blatantly, you are capable of amazing things. See, all of these phrases, all of these motivational sayings, what they're appealing to is the power of ourselves. They're trying to say, you are strong enough. You can do it if you just think the right way, if you just do the right thing. There was a movie released about 10 years ago now called The Help. It was actually quite a good movie from what I can remember. But one of the quotes that really stands out from the movie is there's a main character who continually encourages a little girl, and you can tell that she's speaking to herself as well, and she encourages this little girl with the the words, you is kind, you is smart, you is important. And so she says that over and over over the course of the movie, and what the movie portrays is those words coming true for that main character who previously felt so insignificant, so overlooked, she realizes that she is indeed smart and important and kind. And so our culture encourages us in this kind of self-talk, again, just reminding ourselves over and over that we are enough, that we have the resources that we need. This is why self-esteem is such a critical thing in our culture, because we believe that if we don't have self-esteem, if we don't think greatly of ourselves, then we think we won't be able to accomplish anything. In fact, as we've been reminded in many ways this month, this month is Pride Month. Pride Month, as the name implies, is all about being proud of yourself, particularly of your sexuality. Because we believe that strength comes from within, we therefore also believe that we have some kind of moral obligation to feel good about ourselves and to encourage one another to feel good about ourselves. In fact, if we say anything negative about someone else, no longer do we take these words merely as an insult or as someone not thinking great things about it, but we somehow think that these words, these derogatory words, somehow take away our personal agency, that somehow we aren't even able to function anymore because someone else does not approve us. They take away our confidence, and we believe that our confidence is what we most need in order to accomplish things in life. And so we live in a culture today that's kind of a cult of affirmation, always trying to pat one another on the back, saying, you are good enough, you can do it. This fact that we need to be approved, this phenomena of Pride Month, this cult of self-esteem, what it ironically shows us, I believe, is just what a weak source of strength we are in ourselves that we need to be propped up by seemingly a thousand different poles so that we can just stand upright. Just imagine if someone built a power generator and they claimed that this was the greatest power generator that was ever made. Just one catch, you just needed someone to crank it constantly for it to turn out power. Right? If somebody said that, you'd probably think that they hadn't really made that great of a power generator if somebody had to turn there and crank it the whole time. In the same way, we can see that relying on ourselves as a source of strength is not a fruitful thing. We are not actually a good source of strength. And so my first question to you is just, are any of you here this morning relying on yourself to give you the strength to get through the day? 
Are you relying on self-talk? Are you relying on others saying kind things about you so that your own strength won't be zapped? Beloved, if you are relying on yourself for strength this morning, hear these words from our passage this morning from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 50 verse 11. It says, Behold all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Beloved, you may feel strong enough this moment. Your strength may have been enough to get you through your life up to this point, but God promises a day that all those who rely on their own strength will be broken. He says that a day is coming when your strength will no longer be sufficient and you will find yourself standing in front of the one who alone is all-powerful and is able to be a source of strength. And so I plead with you this morning not to look to your own self-esteem, not to look to your own inner strength as a source by which to live your life. Pride is not the answer. All of these things are shifting shadows and will fail us in the end. And so again, we have this question. We know that we still have to do hard things. We know that our lives are difficult. And so what is the answer? What is the source of strength that God would have us rely upon? Well, there are, of course, different ways to phrase it and explain it. But for the purpose of the message this morning and given our passage in Isaiah The word that I'm going to choose to answer that question is the word faith. Faith gives us strength because faith is the avenue by which God gives us strength. Faith is how we lay hold of God's power for our life day to day. The passage before us this morning in Isaiah really illustrates this truth twice over. First, our passage shows us God's servant, the one and only Jesus Christ. And it shows us that he was a man of faith. And it shows us that this faith gave Jesus enormous strength. And then, after that, this passage also shows us how Jesus bids us to follow in his footsteps as a people of faith, thereby overcoming the world. So Jesus was a man of faith and he was made strong by faith. And then Jesus commands us to be a people of faith who are strong by faith. And so I want to look at these two things in that order. So first, Jesus Christ was a man of faith and therefore he was a man of strength. If you have your Bibles open, look at Isaiah 50 starting in verse 4. We'll look at verses 4 and 5 first. It says, morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear. Now, when it says my ear, a little later on in the passage, we find out this is actually the servant speaking, the servant of the Lord. Again, last week, we identified this servant as being Jesus Christ. And so this is Jesus speaking. And he's saying, morning by morning, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. Beloved, these verses are saying quite simply that Jesus listens to God and Jesus believes God. This is precisely what faith is, beloved. 
Consider for a moment just how remarkable this is. So often, I think, when we as Christians think of Jesus Christ, we just think of him as the the God-man, right? And because he is the God-man, we just kind of assume that whatever Jesus did must have been easy for him, right? He had this divine power, and so surely he could just obey God in every way by means of this divine power. And yet what this passage tells us is that Jesus did not obey by means of his divine power, even though I'm sure he could have. Rather, he obeyed by means of faith. Again, look at verse 4. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. This is what Jesus did when he came to earth. He became as those who are taught. He became as an infant who needed information, needed to be taught by God. And so Jesus, if he was going to learn God's ways, if he was going to trust God, Jesus himself needed to read God's word so that God could teach him. And it says here that Jesus heard as those who were taught. So he didn't just let the word of God just kind of blow over his mind as a fog. No, he listened carefully to it. It says, the Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. He was very diligent in his study of the word. He did not kick against the truth of the word of God, but rather he received it. He cherished it in his heart. We see this in the Gospels, right, of the story of Jesus as a young boy remaining in the temple, even when his family went back home. And he said, well, I had to be here because I had to be in my father's house learning God's word and how he was able, even from a very young age, to refute the wise teachers of his day. He was like one who was taught. He listened to the word of God. Next to see that Jesus was a man of faith, look at verses 8 and 9. Jesus says, He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Do you see how even though the servant is being opposed... Even though things don't seem to be going well for him, he's not looking to his present situation, but rather he is looking to God. He says, he who vindicates me is near. This is a statement of faith, is it not? He doesn't see the vindication of the Lord right now, but he knows the Lord is near. And so he says by faith, he who vindicates me is near. In fact, he goes on and he even boasts. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. In other words, he's challenging anyone who would try to stop him from the path of obedience. He's challenging anyone who would try to dissuade him from the mission that God has given him. And how is he able to find this courage, this strength to call any challengers to come and stop him? Again, verse 9 answers it for us. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? You see, he is listening to God more than he is listening to the words of man. There may be many people that say he is guilty. He is a wicked man. He is a blasphemer. But he does not listen to people. He listens to God. He is a man of faith. And then hear this final statement of faith in verse 9. Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Beloved, can you imagine what kind of 
boldness, what kind of courage Jesus must have had to look at the forces arrayed against him, to look even at those who would send him to the cross to be crucified, and that he would actually look on them and say that they are the ones who lose. They are the ones who wear out like a garment. They are the ones who will be eaten up like a moth. Again, he is not looking to his current situation. He is looking to God's word by faith, knowing that God promises to judge the wicked and the righteous and knowing that if that judgment is coming, he has nothing to fear. And so he is a man who is strong in the faith. Next, notice how strong this faith made him. If you look at verse 6 in chapter 50, Jesus says, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Is it not remarkable how not only does the prophet Isaiah know what will happen to Jesus hundreds of years before it does, but also that Jesus would willingly suffer such abuse. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Passion of the Christ. It's a very hard movie to watch, but it does an excellent job of portraying the sufferings of Christ. You can also just read the Gospels, and those words are enough to tell you about how Jesus was beaten and mocked, how his beard was indeed pulled out and he was spit upon, how he was whipped to within an inch of his life. He was a horrible torment that Jesus had to endure. But notice how verse 6 says, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Beloved, Jesus Christ did not have these things suddenly fall upon him. Like he was surprised by them or he didn't want to endure them, but they were forced upon him. No, he gave himself to these things. He gave his back. He gave his cheeks. He hid not his face. If you go on to the next verse, how, on, how in the world could he get the strength not only to endure such abuse, but actually to give himself to it? Isaiah 50 verse 7 but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He is able to do it, beloved, because he believes that the Lord helps him. He believes that God is with him. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Because he so believes that the Lord is with him, it says that, therefore, I have set my face like flint. Do you see how the faith of Jesus results in the strength of Jesus? He is able to declare by faith that the Lord God helps me. And because he knows that the Lord God helps him, therefore, he is able to say, I set my face like flint. Because he is sure that the Lord will not abandon him, that he will not be put to shame. We see a beautiful picture of this remarkable determination of the Lord in the Gospel of Mark. This is Mark chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. So this is toward the end of Jesus' ministry. It's time for Jesus to go to Jerusalem to be crucified. And it says, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. 
And Jesus was walking ahead of them. So just have that picture first of all. Jesus is walking ahead of his disciples on his way to Jerusalem where he knows he will be killed. Again, think of how difficult that was, beloved. I know any of us here, if we are going somewhere to be killed, we're the last one in line. We want everybody to go in front of us. We just want to trail behind, leave us alone. No, this says Jesus was ahead of them. And it says, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. They were so stunned by the determination of Jesus Christ to go to the cross that they were actually afraid of him in his determination to go to Jerusalem. And then it says, in taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, see, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. But then Jesus says, and after three days, he will rise. Beloved, Jesus had such determination, such resolve that those who walked with him were amazed and afraid at what they saw. Jesus was telling them, explaining to them all that would happen to them. And they were stunned by what they heard. Jesus, knowing what would happen, set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. Because he was a man of faith. Because he believed that in three days, God his Father would raise him from the dead. Even the fact that here in Mark 10, Jesus says, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, shows us that Jesus was immersed in the Word of God. He knew what the Word of God had to say about the Son of Man. He knew that he was the Son of Man, and therefore he knew that God would not abandon him. And because God would not abandon him, he was strong. He was able to do the most difficult thing that I could ever imagine any human being doing, knowing all that awaited him, all the false charges, all the abandonment, all the physical beating and torture. He went straight into it. He went into the jaws of the lion because he was strong in faith, because he believed that God was with him. And so, beloved, if we have such a great Savior, let us also see how Jesus bids us to follow in his footsteps as people of faith. And by this faith, we ourselves will be able to overcome the world. As we look at this, let me just ask you at the outset, are there any aspects of your life where you have set your face like flint to obey God as Jesus did? Are there any aspects of your life where you are sure that no one can push you off the path because you are sure that this is what God wants you to do? I hope that each of us has some things in our lives that we say, I am determined to follow God and nothing and no one is ever going to call me off this path. Because Jesus calls us to the same strength. He calls us to the same faith. In our passage this morning, the way that Jesus calls us to that faith is he gives us very great promises. He tells us the reasons why we have to hope, the reasons why we have not to fear, the reasons why we have to set our face like flint in obedience to God. Just listen to the words of verse 10. This is Jesus speaking. It says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? 
Let him walk in darkness. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. And so Jesus is saying that even in the midst of darkness, even when we feel like we have no light, what are we to do? We are to trust in the Lord. But you see, faith is only as strong as the object of your faith. Faith, in a real sense, has no strength in and of itself. Faith is merely a faculty by which we lay hold of the strength of someone else. Sometimes I have to reassure my children when they're scared. Maybe it's something very small, like they're just in a social situation and they're a little scared of the strangers around them. Or maybe it's a bigger deal. They have some nightmare about some monster and so they're scared. And so sometimes I have to reassure them and I say, you know, don't worry Daddy's right here. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. And if they put their faith in me in that moment, then I trust that they will have peace. That's why I tell it to them, because I want them to have faith in me. I want them to trust me, and I want that trust to give them peace, that I am with them, and that I am watching over them and will protect them. But suppose that something stronger than me at some point comes along, and that thing that's stronger than me scares them. Well, at that point, beloved, their faith in me would not be of much help, would it? (laughs) Because I am not the strongest thing on earth. There are many things that are much stronger than me. And so in those moments, even if they have faith in me, that faith will fail them. They may trust me with all that they have, but that will not do them any good because the object of their trust, namely me, is simply not powerful enough to always protect them. And so faith is only going to be beneficial to you. It's only going to be as strengthening to you as the object of your faith. If you are given an enormous protector to hold on to, then your faith will give you peace as great as the day is long. But if the object of your faith is very small and very weak, well then don't expect much strength to come. And this is why Jesus tells us in the midst of the darkness to trust in the name of Yahweh and to rely upon God. And so what promises does Jesus give us here in this passage that we can lay hold of by faith? Again, my assertion is that if these are very great promises, then this should give us very great strength. Now, there are three distinct calls to faith in chapter 51. You can notice in chapter 51 how verses 1, 4, and 7 all start with an encouragement to listen. So Isaiah 54, 1, it says, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. And then verse 4 says, Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation. And then verse 7 says, Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. So hear that three times we are being exhorted by the servant to listen, to hear. And again, why are we being encouraged to, to listen, to hear? Because it's only when we first hear something that we can actually believe it, that we can have faith. You can't have faith in something that you've never heard, that you don't actually believe. This is why I preach right now. This is why we preach every Sunday, because faith comes by hearing. You hear the word of God, you believe the word of God, and then you are made strong in faith. 
And so three times here in Isaiah 51, the servant is saying, listen to me, give me your attention, hear what I have to say, because he wants you to hear and then he wants you to believe. So let's look at each of these sections, because in each of these sections, Jesus is giving us a particular promise to make us strong in the midst of the battle. So first, Isaiah 51, verses 1 to 3. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. So the ultimate promise that Jesus gives us here is found in verse 3, and then verses 1 and 2 are supposed to support our belief in verse 3. So what does verse 3 say? It says, The Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places. He makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving in the voice of song. The picture that Jesus is giving, especially when it talks about making the wilderness like an Eden, is God is saying, whatever you need, whatever you need, I can provide and I will provide. That even if life looks like a wilderness to you right now, I can make it like Eden. I can give you everything you need. I can give you joy. I can give you gladness. I can give you thanksgiving so much that you just want to sing for joy. This is what God is promising to us. He is saying that no matter what darkness we are in, no matter what difficulty we face, God is able to see it and he is able to redeem it, making it a beautiful garden. And if you doubt that that can be so, that's why verse 1 says, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. In other words, he's saying, look to the stories of faith that come before you. Look to Abraham, your father, to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. Abraham is the perfect model of faith for us because God spoke a promise to him that he would have a child when he was far beyond the years when he could have a child. And God nevertheless promised him that he would have a child and that he would be the father of many nations. And beloved, was God able to fulfill that promise? Was he able to make the wilderness that was Abraham's life into a garden of Eden? Was he able to make Abraham and Sarah, who were barren, fruitful and abundant, even down to the very Savior, Jesus Christ, who is now the father of a multitude of nations? Beloved, God was able to do it. And if God is able to do it for Abraham, if this is the rock from which we were hewn, consider how much more he can do it for you. Oh, beloved, how often we want to cling to things in our own life, not believing that God can give us better things. We just want to hold on to the little we have, so worried that if we give up that little bit, then we're just going to be poor and we're not going to have any more. And yet, God here promises that whatever hardship we face, whatever wilderness we face, whatever darkness we go through, he is able to redeem it and to make us abundant. Next, look at Isaiah 51, verses 4 to 6. 
Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation, for a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath. For the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. And they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever. And my righteousness will never be dismayed. Here, Jesus promises that he is building a kingdom that not only stretches to the ends of the earth, but stretches on for all eternity. Jesus is saying that my saving power is going to be worldwide and you can be part of this winning team. There's a phrase that's become more popular here in the U.S. over the last several years, being on the right side of history, right? Do we not all want to be on the right side of history? Well, Jesus is saying here that if we follow him, if we are part of his salvation, we are on the right side of history. We are part of the winning team. And again, this can be so encouraging to us. This can strengthen our faith when we look out across our culture right now and we seem to see so many different ways that God is being rejected. Maybe we think, oh, we are so beleaguered. We have so many forces arrayed against us. And yet Jesus is saying that my salvation will go out, that my arm is strong enough to save. And so no matter how many forces are arrayed against us, we know that God's kingdom is here, that it is expanding, and that it will last forever. And so again, we can march forward with strong faith, with strong faith, with confidence, with our faces like flint, knowing that Jesus is sovereign and he is reigning. And then lastly, Isaiah 51, verses 7 and 8. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. Beloved, whatever earthly force you may feel is hindering you in your obedience right now, be assured that the moth will eat that up like a garment, and the worm will eat it like wool that God's kingdom will truly last forever and ever. Beloved, one of my favorite explanations of that word forever comes from the very well-known hymn, Amazing Grace. How in that last verse it says, When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Have you ever considered just how impossibly enormous that promise is that 10,000 years to us one day will seem like the blink of an eye (laughs) because we will have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Beloved, if Jesus has given us such an enormous promise, 
If he has promised us that we can be part of his kingdom that lasts forever, that every force arrayed against him will eventually perish, and that his righteousness and his salvation will last forever and ever, then how bold should we be, beloved? How strong should we be? We should even be ready to give our very lives, knowing that even if our very lives are taken from us, we still have an eternal hope. And beloved, if we can give our lives, how much more can we give everything lesser than our lives? How much more can we give our time, our money, our attention to those things that God calls us to? Because we know that nothing we give to the Lord will ultimately be lost. Indeed, Jesus tells us to store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. And that means that by faith, whatever sort of hardship we endure today, whatever sort of difficulty we face today, we can say, I will press into this and I may suffer because of this, but I have a reward that is coming that far outweighs whatever sacrifice I could possibly make. And in that way, beloved, we look to Jesus Christ, the man of faith. We look to him who willingly went into the jaws of the lion, who endured hostility as such that we will never have to know. Hebrews 12 gives us this encouragement. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Beloved, we are promised that one day, if we remain faithful, we will reign with him. We will sit with him at that right hand of God among the many heavenly hosts in a place where there will be no more pain or suffering anymore. And so I exhort you this morning, beloved, hold fast to Jesus Christ by faith. Hold fast to these promises that Jesus gives us of the destiny that awaits those who trust him. And as you, as your faith in these promises is strengthened, then know that you yourself will be strengthened to do whatever difficult task Jesus may be calling you to as you look forward to the prize. Well, beloved, let's now spend some time in prayer together, both for ourselves, confessing our sins, asking the Lord to work, but also for the needs of the world around us as we consider this great salvation that Jesus has given. Heavenly Father, we do indeed praise you for giving such rich and abundant promises to us who did not deserve anything. (laughs) Lord, you were so enormously generous, beyond any way that you had to be generous, God. You did not need to promise us eternity. You did not need to promise us a seat at your right hand. Lord, we would have been content to merely not perish at your hand. And yet, Lord, you in your generosity have given us rich and very great promises. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to hold fast to those promises, to look more to those promises and to the reality that you speak to us about than to look to our own present day and age. In that way, Lord, I pray that you would make us a people of faith. And as you make us a people of faith, I pray that you would make us a strong people as we look to how you are with us. Would you hear our prayers now 
And would you give us hearts of faith as we pray?